Okay, good morning. It is good to be here and it's good to have you with us. It's been a, a while since I have struggled as much as I have in preparation for this message. So, uh, do you have your seatbelts ready? <laughs> Put them on now. I want to I share a message of, of hope with us. And um, I'm going to go a few places, which is very politically incorrect. And uh, probably quite a, be gonna be a bit of a challenge for some of us. So I want to ask you to have an open mind. Can I ask that from you? Open mind. Yes. I. Say I. Good. Okay, then secondly, you're not allowed to jump up and run out. <laughs> Say I. Okay, good. Listen to the whole thing until the end, and, uh, and it will make sense to you. So I want to, um, it's really a message of hope. So just to, to, to introduce um, the, the concept, uh, there's, a, there's a massive cultural shift that's happened over the last 40 to 50 years. started with the sexual revolution in the 60s. And uh, the moral landscape has changed dramatically, and it's been very destructive to families and to relationships and to individuals. And uh, so we wanna, I want to share some truth with you that I trust is going to set you free. That's what the Bible says. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, so I want to kick off with pornography, and uh, then we're going to work into some other interesting areas as well. Okay, are you ready? Say I. Okay. Right. Okay. Anyway, so let's start with hardcore pornography. I'm just going to give you some stats quickly, just an introduction. Then I'm going to show you a video clip of someone um, that went through some serious trauma. It was illegal in South Africa like 20 years ago. It was very hard to obtain hardcore pornography. But with the internet, it's very accessible. Things have really changed. You know, it's like having an adult world in your uh, living room. Adult world like an adult shop where you can buy stuff that will mess up your life. And uh, so things have changed. The internet has really changed um, the, the world. Now, Josh McDowell is a, very, is a well-known apologist. He, he defends Christianity. He's also a leader in the worldwide church. And he, and he um, some stats from him. The average age of first-time viewers of pornography is nine years old. First view. And normally it's by accident. Um, doing homework and stumbling uh, across it. The adult porn industry reports that 20 to 30% of their traffic comes from children. More shockingly, half of all Christian families report that pornography is a problem. So 50% plus of Christian families report that porn is a problem. 62% of men who attend evangelical churches regularly struggle with porn. 62%, so it's almost two out of three men struggle with pornography. Upwards of 65 to 68% of teenagers, almost 70% of teenagers, um, battle with pornography. Josh McDowell says, the greatest threat to the cause of Christ in 2,000 years of church history is pervasive or universal sexuality and pornography. The greatest threat to the cause of Christ in 2,000 years of church history is pervasive sexuality. We're being assaulted from every area, every possible place. We're being assaulted by sexual 
images and sexuality and pornography. And he says, today we have by and large lost control of the controls because an intrusive immorality is just one click away. His website's called One Click Away. You can actually go check that out for info. But he says, an intrusive immorality is just one click away from our children, but also from us. It's not just children, but from also, as parents, yes, we're worried about our children. And as adults, we're worried about ourselves. With just one keystroke on a smartphone, iPad, or laptop, a child can open up some of the worst pornography and sexually graphic content you can imagine. There's never been such access in history. And so he says, this is the greatest threat to the cause of Christ in 2,000 years. And I want to agree. Because it affects one. If you in any way dabble in pornography or these type of things, it undermines your life. It undermines your relationship with Christ and your beliefs. It infiltrates your heart that you can no longer connect with God. And you start fading. And it also leads to debilitating shame. It affects one. It leads to shame. It causes one to run away from God and, uh, and His church. And he says that the stats show that those involved in pornography it has a 300% increase in chance of infidelity. So if you're a married man and you are messing around pornography, there's a 300% increase in chance that you're going to commit adultery. Or if you're a single man, that you would sleep with someone. 300% increase. So I want to show you a video clip by Chris Beale. He was a worship leader at a big church, well-known church in America, and what happened to him. It's about seven minutes, if we can do the lights. It's been uh, 32 years, and I can still tell you exactly what I looked at 32 years later. Chris Beal was eight years old when he saw his first porn magazine. It was the craziest thing. There was a kid in the neighborhood whose brother worked at a gas station and brought old issues home. As a teenager, Chris started buying his own magazines. It wasn't until the internet came out in late college that it was just gas on a fire. Because now, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to deal with the humiliation of buying something at a store. And that's where it just went from um, kind of a constant struggle to, a, to an all-out addiction. Chris met Cindy while both were attending college in Texas. I don't know if you call it love at first sight because we had seen each other before, but we knew that first time spending time together, I just knew. I knew he was it. Chris and Cindy married, but Chris's addiction got worse. It finally got to a point where I was looking at pornography every day. Cindy didn't fully know. She kind of knew this was a every once in a while struggle, but she didn't know the full extent. Chris was a minister of music at his church, and he spent a lot of time alone in his office. Most of the time he would view it was at work. So I didn't see him doing it, and I didn't know that it was getting bad. And then it went from looking at images to, um, to chatting with people. And then the unthinkable... I knowingly, fully knowing what I'm doing, I met one of them. I can never 
say that I kept my vow. I broke my promise. And I was just in this world of darkness. And I, and I hated myself. And then I got up on stage to lead worship on Sunday morning. And I was just, I was the biggest poser, the biggest hypocrite. Chris's Pastor Craig encouraged him to be a man of integrity who has no secrets. I resonate with everything he's saying, yet I'm not that guy. I'm the antithesis of that guy. And um, I tried, I tried to manage it. I was able to, to deal with it for six weeks. And I just, I couldn't handle it anymore. My, it was as though the Holy Spirit had put me in a corner and said, we are going to deal with this issue. He confessed everything to me. I've been unfaithful to you many times, many different women, many different places over the course of about two, two and a half year period. Um, and I'm just listening. You're kidding. This huge weight is now gone because for the first time since I was eight years old, I am a man with no secrets. On the other side, I've taken this burden, and it's not like it just randomly went away, but I've placed the burden now on my wife. And if that's not enough, the final part, he just said, um, and one of the women is pregnant, and I'm pretty sure that I'm the father. I found it to be the worst day of my life, and then the next morning I realized, well, so was that one, and the next one. So it was just a bunch of worst days of my life, all in a row. And there's nothing that I can do to make it better. And so for the first week, we just sat silent for hours and days and cried and talked and she asked questions and I answered questions. Chris asked for Cindy's forgiveness. Cindy didn't know what to do or where to go. Chris told the staff at his church what he had done. He lost his job, but his pastor didn't lose faith in Chris. He was going to lead our church through the truth. And that petrified me, petrified me. I've never experienced the body of Christ like I did that day. It wasn't the things that they said. It was just, there was genuine love. They loved us. I had so betrayed them and they loved us. And, and that was the first moment that I knew God was up to something great. But Cindy still needed time to think and pray. She left for a few weeks to stay with her mother. When I got there, my mom said, hey, I've made an appointment for you to see Brother Dan, her pastor. Oh, Lord, really? I have to see someone else to tell me to stay married and be a good wife? And he said, you know, what you've been through is really difficult. Nobody would blame you if you left. I'm like, yes. And he said, but. I'm like, oh, there's a but there. He said, but you are not a fool to stay and be a part of the redemptive work in a man's life. I'm thinking, yeah, I, tr I trust you, God, but I don't trust him farther than I can throw him. And once a cheater, always a cheater. And... You know, he's just going to, I'm going to be a doormat. And the, the world says I'm an idiot if I stay. And, and God's just like, 
Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And finally, I just said, well, yeah, you've never let me down. I do trust you. That moment, his peace just washed over me. And um, I just never forget having this renewed sense of, I think, I think we can do this. And before she even said, I'm committed to this marriage, I could see that God had put that in her heart. And um, that was a great day. Chris and Cindy started over. Cindy forgave him completely. And their trust in each other started to grow again. They had two sons of their own. Chris's third son lives with his mother. After a couple years, um, Cindy would just cry because she loved him like her own son. And today, he is not a reminder of my sin. He is a reminder of the redemption of God. He is one of the greatest joys in this whole terrible story. I mean, he is... He is the scripture that says that God will cause all things to work together for good, personified. It's that little boy. Chris and Cindy will tell you that their marriage isn't perfect. It's a work in progress. I believe that God is in the business of performing miracles today. He's still in the business of doing those miracles. And my marriage is just that, a miracle. There is no hope for freedom. There's no hope for restoration until you... um, can just wait in the waters of truth, which is you're enough and he loves you more than anything. And then in the midst of that love, have the courage and the trust in a good God to do whatever it takes to be free, to confess it, to bring it into the light and to then spend the rest of your life, the rest of your life, um, just loving and earning the opportunity to be one of the great stories of God. That's a beautiful story. There is hope no matter what, no matter what has happened, no matter what we've been through, there is hope. So I want to quickly share with you just God's original plan, Genesis 2 verse 24. And I think the, the biggest danger is when we keep things hidden. Then it overwhelms us. So you want to bring things into the light. You want to deal with it. But look at God's original plan. God is a good God. He loves us so much. And in Genesis 2.24, it's like his original plan for us. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one, physical as well, intimately, sexual. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were naked, man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And that is God's original plan for us as people to be without shame. No shame. Sexuality is beautiful in the right context. It is absolutely beautiful. And Adam and Eve, and this, they, they had perfect communion with God. They had no shame. It was beautiful. But then things changed. Sin entered the world. They made mistakes. They disobeyed God. And then it says in Genesis 3 verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So they tried to cover themselves. 
And it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Abram and his wife, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This reveals the, the, the consequences of sin. Sin changes us. It doesn't change God. The result of our sin is that we would try to cover ourselves, that we would hide from God and his presence. Like God, they were walking with God in the garden, but now they were running away. They were hiding. And I, I've, you know, in the, I've been in the ministry now for, say, 12 years or so, and I see this. The moment people fall into sin, they start hiding. They start running away, and they start running away from church. It's so beautiful, that guy's story of, of how he experienced the love of God through God's people. You know, but the enemy comes and tells us, no, run away. They're going to judge you. They're going to hate you. They're going to point the finger at you. No, you're going to experience love when you actually bring things into the light. But they try to cover themselves. And I want to share a story with you. A guy um, that he, he, he was in one of our churches in, 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 in Pretoria. And then he fell into a homosexual lifestyle and he ran away from church and he ran away from God. So he ran to East London. We didn't have a church here at that time. And so it was, I think it was the Monday evening, the first few months, first three or four months that we, we arrived in East London about five years ago. And we had a Monday evening prayer meeting and I was praying and I had a powerful, powerful encounter with God. I can only say I've only had a few such encounters in my life with God. But I, I had this encounter with God, and I saw a vision in my mind's eye. I saw a, a canyon and a rickety little bridge from the one side of the canyon to the other side of the canyon. And I saw a man on this side with huge load, a lot of baggage on his shoulders, like weightiness, things on his back. And he was wanting to cross over the bridge, but he couldn't because of all of this weight. And so in this picture that I saw, that I feel God showed me, I saw an angel or a person looking like an angel coming, taking off the baggage and taking him by the hand and leading him over that, over that bridge. And I was like, wow, that's, that was powerful. I don't know what it means, but I was, I was praying for this guy. And so the next day, I, I forgot about this. Next day, I thought, I need to phone this other guy. I know his brother. I need to phone this other guy. He, uh, I, I just feel I need to phone him. So I phoned this guy. And uh, everyone said, he's not going to speak to me. But I phoned him, and, he, and I said, man, let's go grab a cup of coffee somewhere. And he said, yeah, let's go for it. So this is the guy that's been running away from, from God and from church. And so we went to the mug and bean in Vincent. And so we were sitting there, and we were just chatting. And then as I was sitting there, God spoke to my heart and said, this is he that you saw in that picture, in that vision. This is the man. And I shared this with him. And as I was sharing this with him and shared with him about coming back to Christ, the, the tears started to run down his face. Right there in the Mugabini, he was weeping as God was touching him. And so went to his car, prayed with him. And you know, he was in a, in a homosexual relationship at that stage. He was living in a house with his boyfriend. They were stay, staying in the same room. And so I was really... Praying and thinking, okay, we're gonna, this is gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna lead him through into freedom because he was, he was torn in two. It's like he was a prisoner. He wanted freedom, but he didn't know. He wanted Jesus, but he didn't know how. I said, I'll pray with you. I will help you. 
Anyway, so we made an appointment for the next day. He didn't pitch. He was gone. I think, ah, oh, it's running again. And then the next day again, he SMSed me and said, I want to speak. I said, come, man. I'm, come to my house. I'm, I'm waiting for you. So he came, and uh, I closed the door. I locked the door so he can't run away again. Don't normally do that. But, uh, <laughs> but I knew we need a miracle right now. He's like a man being torn in two, and I knew he needs, he needs God. And so I said, let's go to, the, to Bonza Bay Beach right now. I'll go and baptize you right now. Let's get into my car. I'll take you there. So we went to the beach, and before we went into the, into the waves, he was kneeling, uh, and, and I was just praying over him. I could see this. It's like he wants Jesus, but everything else also wants to lead him away. And so I led him into the water, and he was baptized, and as he came out, he was a changed man. He phoned his boyfriend and said, it's over. He's moving out of the room. He was still in the house for a while, but then he found his, his own house later on. And, and he truly, his life got flipped around by the power of God. And uh, spent so much time with him, so, investing so much in him. Love, I still love him so much. But a few years later, he backslid. He got the wrong friends, and he fell back into that lifestyle, and he ran away again to another place in South Africa. And my heart is still breaking for him. Why am I sharing this? Because there are people that are bound like prisoners. And we need to speak the truth. And we need to lead them into, into freedom. I've never spoken about homosexuality in this church in five years. I am today going to share a bit about it. Because I, I want to bring some truth about it, that we can, can be set free. And I trust it's going to speak to us in, the, in other areas of our lives as well. But first, an acknowledgement. As the church in general, we have made mistakes. As Christians in general, we have made mistakes. Sometimes we are not so loving. Sometimes we are not so nice. Sometimes we are, and we do come over judgmental. But your average Christian wants to love people. It's normally ignorance, not that someone is trying to be ugly. So I want to acknowledge that. And then secondly, I want to apologize on behalf of the church in general and Christians in general. If ever you have felt judged, if ever you have felt rejected, if ever you have felt that you're not good enough and people are going to point that finger at you and say you're such a bad sinner, I want to apologize. And say that is not our heart. I don't know one pastor. I don't know one Christian in any church anywhere that wants to judge people and push them away. And so I want to, if ever you've been hurt, if ever you've been offended, or if ever you've been offended with the church because of how they have treated your friends, then I want to say we are sorry. Please forgive us. And I want to share this morning really from a, from a heart of love, a heart of compassion, God loves people, no matter what they're battling with. God loves people. And I pray that we as a church would be compassionate for people's struggles, be compassionate for what they're going through, and be equipped to help. So I want to equip you this morning. I want to share you a few truths that I trust will set, will set you free. Last year sometime, one of our members came to, us, came to me he was terrified of speaking to me. He's come out of the closet. He is now officially gay. 
spoken to his family about it. And he came to see me and he was terrified. He, was, he thought, I'm going to hoi him with a Bible. I'm going to do something to him. I'm going to tell him how horrible person he is. And nothing like that happened. I just said, just give us a bit of time to walk a road with you. Just to pray with you, to see if we can help you. And so he said he's going to take two days and he's going he's to think about it. And, and he already had a boyfriend at that stage. And so a few la- days later, I phoned him and I said, so how about it? How do, let, give, me, give me six months. Let, let's walk a road. And he said, no, I've thought about it. No, I, I'm tired of fighting. It's 10 years plus of fighting temptations. I'm tired. I don't want to fight it anymore. So I was, I was very emotional over the phone because it was like seeing someone jumping off a cliff and I can't do anything to help them. And so I really have a heart for people that, that are battling in these things. And it's from this context that I want to share with you. I want to share with you that I believe God loves everyone. But I also believe that the truth sets people free. And this morning I want, to share, I want to share some truth with you. And I'm trusting that even this recording that we're doing, that, that we can, you can give this to people and to encourage them and to give them some truth around this. Okay. So the result of sin is that we try, as Adam and Eve, we try to cover ourselves. We try to quieten our conscience. We... Try to deal with the nagging thoughts that maybe this isn't good. And so how it happened with Adam or with Eve, the devil came to her and said to her, Did God really say? So first it starts with doubts. Does the Bible really say this is not good for you? Does the Bible really say that it's a sin? Maybe, maybe it's okay. So it starts with doubts. And then it moves beyond that where it actually starts saying, where the devil is in Genesis chapter 3, the devil spoke to Eve and said, you, said to her, you will not die if you do this, if you disobey God. So then it goes into blatant lies, first doubts and then lies. And so there are many of these arguments being thrown around or, or things said. For instance, there are a few things that are said about homosexuality. It said that you are born that way, that you are born gay and there's nothing you can do about it. Then they say you can't change, so don't even try. And then they say it is positive and normal behavior. It will actually be good for you. You will find peace. But I believe the truth will set you free. So I want to give you some some history about homosexuality. I've been doing some serious studying on the topic. Until the beginning 1970s, homosexuality, now I'm I'm going to speak from an, an American context. You see, everything comes from America. They sneeze and we get pneumonia, okay? That's sort of how the world works, economically and otherwise. So whatever starts there, it floods to the rest of the world. Until beginning 1970s, homosexuality was classified as a mental disorder on the APA list of mental disorders. The American Psychiatric Association, the biggest psychiatric association in the world. Yet the gay rights movement became quite militant the early 1970s. They started to disrupt the APA meetings. They would intimidate the psychiatrist. They would, it, was, it, was, it was quite wild. And they would intimidate them to change their stance on it. So in 1973, 
the APA, American Psychological Association, decided in a landmark decision that homosexuality was not a mental illness, removing it from the DSM, the Diagnostic of Mental Disorders, like the Bible of Psychiatry and Psychology. Gay rights activists got the APA to put it to a vote. Is homosexuality a mental disorder or is it not? They didn't put scientific evidence on the table. It was just political pressure. And so in the end, they voted... 5,854 voted for removing it. 3,810 voted against removing homosexuality from the DSM list. But this landmark decision, which was primarily a politically influenced decision, not a scientifically influenced decision, caused the rest of the mental organizations, the the mental health organizations, to, to fall like dominoes. Everybody began to change their stance on the topic. And so also the rest of the world. It has so shifted. It has so shifted from the 1970s that today you have the following happening. Previously, if you were gay, you had a mental disorder. Now, if you don't like the sight of two men kissing one another, you are a homophobe. You have a mental disorder. In 40 years, it's completely flipped around. As it says here, yes, it is homophobia, which today is labeled a disorder. And in the words of Dr. Richard Issey, a leading gay psychiatrist, homophobia is a psychological abnormality. Those afflicted should be quarantined and denied employment. And this is what is happening. Across the world, people are losing their jobs if they speak out that they do not believe that homosexuality is good for one, or they don't agree with it because of their, 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 um, their faith. Forty years, massive shift in culture, massive shift, and massive intimidation to not speak on this topic. So let's look at born that way. Are gays born that way? So I'm going to quote you pro-gay people like scientists or psychiatrists and what they are saying. There's to date um, no solid evidence that supports the concept that people are born gay or lesbian. Even the unabashedly pro-gay American Psychological Association stated in 2009, okay, that's on the screen. There are numerous theories about the origins of a person's sexual orientation. Most scientists today agree that sexual orientation is most likely the result of a complex interaction of environmental, cognitive, and biological factors. In summary, it is important to recognize that there are probably many reasons for a person's sexual orientation, and the reasons may be different for different people. This means that despite the many reports of the discovery of a gay gene, People are simply not born homosexual. Okay? You are not born homosexual. Another one, John Emilio. He's a well-known gay activist, a professor of history, of gender, and women's studies at the University of Illinois. He says, born gay. Born gay is an idea 
with a large constituency, LGBT, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transvestite, and otherwise. It's an idea designed to allay the ingrained fears of a homophobic society and the internalized fears of gays, lesbians, and bisexuals. What's most amazing to me about the born gay phenomena is that the scientific evidence for it is as thin as a reed. In other words, (laughs) there isn't. Yet, it doesn't matter, he says. It's an idea with such social utility that one doesn't need much evidence in order to make it attractive or credible. So in other words, we don't care what science says. The Christians are normally blamed for not being scientific. But uh, we don't care what the science says. It's a great idea. It makes us feel better. It covers our nakedness. It covers our nakedness. Another gay researcher, John DiCecco, is the editor of the Journal of Homosexuality. He said, the sexual act shapes erotic desire as much as desire precedes it. The sexual act shapes erotic desire as much as desire precedes it. In other words, what we get exposed to will influence or shape our desires. If we get exposed to weird sexual things, that's what you're going to desire. If you were used to sex outside of marriage, now you get married, you're going to still desire sex outside of marriage because it gave you a kick. What you get exposed to will influence or shape our desires. The, The science shows that many gay people were molested or sexually abused as children. Not all of them. But especially lesbians, 80 plus percent of them were sexually abused as children. Even my friend that I spoke to you of that I baptized at at Bonza Bay, he, as I think was an eight or nine year old boy, he was playing, um, they went to stay in in a relatively poor area somewhere in the country. And his parents told him, don't go and play at that area, that's not a good area to go and play or that park or whatever. But anyway, he went to go play there. And in some way, there came a guy, a man, out of, came out of one of the houses and invited him in. And this man raped him. And that destroyed his life from there. And he started to desire those same type of things. He was sexually abused as a child. And the shame, he said, he told me, I couldn't tell my parents because they told me, don't go play there. Don't go play there. You see, the shame is what what binds people. The shame is what keeps it hidden. But God's will is no shame. No shame. Let's break off shame. Let's deal with shame. But if you have been molested as a child, ladies or guys, it could have influenced your view of sexuality and it can influence your relationships today. So are are people like that born like that? No, they are not born like that. Next question. Nothing, nothing, is there nothing you can do about it? So let's say, hypothetically speaking, we find a gay gene. There, there is no evidence for it, but let's say we find one. The genetics do play a role. They have found a, a, a violence gene. A violence gene. So let's look at this. Now, this is this actual evidence. They found some people have a tendency to be more violent than others. So let's see how this plays out. You have the 
violence gene, you beat the life out of someone, they take you to court, you stand in front of the judge, you say, judge, I didn't, it's not my fault, it's my genes. No, they won't stand in a court of law. You must take responsibility for your violent behavior. Wouldn't we work harder with those that have a tendency to those type of things? We'll invest more in them and try to help them to change this destructive behavior. Now look at this. This is profound. There's a professor, Guo. He found this, this violence gene. And he said, a certain mutation in the gene called DRD2 seemed to set off a young man if he did not have regular meals with his family. In other words... Those that have the genetic tendency to violence, if they don't have family time, then they become violent. Fascinating. So he says, but if people with the same gene have a parent who has, regu who has regular meals with them, then the risk is gone. Gyo said, having a family meal is probably a proxy for parental involvement. He added, it suggests that parenting is very important. Profound. <laughs> it's amazing. Scientific, probably millions of dollars spent on finally coming to the conclusion that parenting is very important. So spend time with your family. Family meals. Very important. So he says, remark, how remarkable, even though there's a genetic predisposition to violent and delinquent behavior, eating together as a family removed the risk entirely. Power of family, power of parenting, of love. Environmental factors certainly do play a major role in determining the decisions we make and the desires we experience, regardless of our genetic or biological predisposition. In other words, the way we live, the way we love one another, heals us, restores us, changes us. So even if a child, a boy, might have a bit of a feminine side to him, if I as dad loves him and affirms him, there's a very good chance he will never go into homosexuality. Doesn't make sense. The power of family, the power of loving one another. Okay, so another question, quick one. Can homosexuals change? Many say you cannot so let's quote Robert Spitzer. He's a pro-gay psychiatrist, a long-time hero of gay activism. And he has recently now been vilified by the gay rights activist for stating the following. Like most psychiatrists, I thought that homosexual behavior could be resisted. But sexual orientation could not be changed. I now believe that's Andrew. Some people can and do change. This is a pro-gay psychiatrist saying he knows people that can and do change. So I want to renounce the lie that says if you're born that way, you can never change. Make a peace with it. You see, because that's what happened. The enemy comes and maybe some of us battle with temptations in certain areas like homosexual uh, temptations. And immediately you can start thinking, well, oh, I'm born this way. Oh, I can't change. And so you just give in to it because you get tired of resisting the temptation. There are literally thousands of testimonies of people who are ex-gay. You can go, there's a, there's a, I'll put all my slides on the web as well if you want to get it. But there's a guy called David Kyle Foster. He was a, a male prostitute. And he actually preached in our church in Stellenbosch some years ago. Godly man. He turned to Christ. 
And he has a, a YouTube channel where he interviews lots of guys, guys like Cy Rogers, another guy. He was uh, two weeks away from a sex change. He lived as a woman for a year and a half, cross-dressing, about to do a sex change. And he had a powerful encounter with Jesus, and Jesus flipped his life around. He's now a worldwide, world, wild, 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 wild. <laughs> worldwide preacher. He, he preaches. He's in a church in Singapore, and he preaches around the world. I want to share another story with you. This is from the book, uh, Can You Be Gay and Christian, by uh, Michael, Michael, Dr. Michael Brown. He says, in April of 2013, I received an email from a man named Randy, who regularly listened to my radio show. He wrote this to me on Facebook in response to a question I asked him. Now, this is what the guy wrote on Facebook, the guy called Randy. For 39 years, I've had to struggle with being gay and loving Jesus. I am jealous of people who claim to have gone heterosexual. It is so far out of my reach, I cannot even fathom such a thing. I've been to more counseling, therapy, exodus meetings, ex-gay ministries, even electric shock therapy in a mental hospital. I turned 57 years old on April the 18th, and I'm still gay. I did not choose to live a difficult lifestyle where you are belittled and hated, especially when the Baptist church I was brought up in found out that I was gay. It's just a fact of life for me. I knew I was different when I was still a very little lad. I loved playing with girls. I detested sports. I still do. I loved hanging out with my mother all the time. Sure, you've heard this all before. I truly believe I was born this way. I don't want to go to hell. Just hope that God knows the struggles I've dealt with, and I know he will judge me fairly. One day later, he wrote this, Dr. Brown, I fear that I've been given over to a reprobate mind, and there's no, now no help for me. I will burn in hell for eternity. I've already started paying a price for my gay lifestyle. My last lover had HIV and committed suicide. I now have advanced HIV disease and numerous health problems, and many of my family had turned away from me. However, these days, that doesn't seem to be so bad. Since the gay thing is now pretty much accepted, they've come back to me a little at a time. What more can I say, Dr. Brown? Please pray for me. Perhaps it is too late. When I read his, read his emails on the air with his permission, I had to hold myself back from breaking down and weeping. What a painful, painful story. You may say, can't you see the problem? All his pain was caused by homophobia, especially in the church. If you Christians had simply affirmed him as a gay Christian, he would not have gone through such living hell. That's the real issue. Randy would beg to differ with that. As he explained in another email dated to me September 23, 2013, no, you cannot be gay and Christian. You can have homosexual feelings, which you must fight minute to minute, day to day, month to month, year to year, but you cannot be intimate with a man and be a Christian. I have tried with utter and dismal emotional failure. In stark contrast, when I assured him that God had not given him over to reprobate mind, when I told him that Jesus died to forgive him of every sin he had ever committed, and when I encouraged him that he could live without sex or without another man, but he could not live without God, he had a dramatic breakthrough. 
A few days later, after seeing the responses to an article I'd written about his story and hearing the reports about listeners who were praying for him, he posted this on our Facebook page. This is beautiful. I'm sitting here with tears practically falling on my computer keyboard. I can't believe there are this many people out there who give a rip about me. I am flawed. Why would these people care about an AIDS-ridden homosexual guy that they've never met before? I am basically speechless at this time. I can't, think, I can't thank all those people enough for their kind words and support. I believe God is going to bring someone into my life who will really, this time, be able to help me overcome this unhappy lifestyle. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. And thank you again, To all those wonderful people who care about me. I can't believe how many people care. I can't believe how many people care. Isn't that beautiful? Power of loving someone despite. The last time I heard from him, he was doing well. Strong in his faith and speaking out clearly against gay Christianity. Saying no to the same sex desires that had tormented him for so many years. So can people change? Yes, they can. They can. So is it positive and normal? Because some of the organizations are saying it is positive and normal. This is the official stance of the APA. It is positive and normal to be gay. You know, every Christian gay man I've met, ever met, they have terrible inner torments. It is not a happy space to be in. So I want to give a few stats. It's not to make homosexual people look bad. It's just to, tell, to show you that, answer the question, is this positive and normal? The simple facts are that gay men are decidedly more promiscuous than straight men and that gay sex has decidedly more health risks than heterosexual sex, even in monogamous, committed relationships. A 1978 survey, 28% white homosexual men in America claim more than 1,000 lifetime partners. 1,000. Is that normal? While 43% claimed more than 500, almost half, more than 500. This is an un, obviously an uncontrollable sex drive. Now, I, I know a guy, um, he, he came to Christ, and he, would, he, he was a pastor at, at a church in Cape Town, and he shared how he would sometimes, three times a day, meet random males in the city of Cape Town and have sex with them. Don't know them from anywhere, three times a day. That is not normal, and that is not good for someone. That means you are a slave to your sexuality. You are not free to decide what you want to do. There was a comprehensive review of about 100 years of literature by the North researchers, and they yielded the following conclusions. Despite knowing the AIDS risk, homosexuals repeatedly and pathologically continue to indulge in unsafe sex practices. Homosexuals represent the highest number of STD STD cases, but I mean like, Massively more. Many homosexual sex practices are medically dangerous, with or without protection. More than one-third of homosexual men and women are substance abusers. 40% of homosexual adolescents adolescents report suicidal histories. Homosexuals are more likely than heterosexuals to have mental health concerns, such as eating disorders, personality disorders, paranoia, depression, and anxiety. Homosexual relationships are more violent than heterosexual relationships. 
And then the report also emphasized that societal bias and discrimination do not in and of themselves contribute to the majority of increased health risk of homosexuals. Because they say it's because people are judging them. It is because they say people are rejecting them. That's why, why all, and, and, this, and, and the study says that's not so. So is it normal? Is it positive? No, it isn't. Yet it is incredibly politically incorrect to say what I'm saying today. <laughs> you are called a hater. You are called a bigot. You are called lots of things for saying the things I'm saying this morning. And I just feel you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I want us as a church to be a place where people can find freedom. And so we need to be equipped and not confused about it. Okay, so that was my quick detour. <laughs> Back to scripture. Genesis 3.21. Okay, so how do we deal with shame? How do we deal with the shame in our lives, whatever area of our sexuality it might be? It says there, after Adam and Eve have sinned, they try to cover themselves. They ran, tried to hide from God. They tried to, they were afraid, afraid of the presence of God. And yet God came and he clothed them. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. I want to share, encourage you. I'm going to give you hope this morning that God wants to clothe you. God wants to clothe us. Whatever we might have been through, whatever we might be struggling with, he wants to clothe us. In that context, God obviously had to kill an animal like a lamb, for instance. So there was blood shed so that he could clothe them. And so that points to Jesus dying on a cross for us, shedding his blood, paying the price for all of our sins so that we can be set free. Don't try to cover yourself. Don't try to cover yourself with false arguments, trying to tell your conscience it's okay. Once or twice a week, pornography, it's not so bad. It was only two or three girls that I've slept with. It's not like every week or whatever your argument might be. We need to bring it into the light. God loves us so much that he wants to set us free. So another story, Christopher 1. He, uh, from the same book, he says there, Christopher 1 is a committed Christian whom I had the pleasure of meeting a few years ago. And today he's teaching at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and completing his Doctor of Ministry degree. He had lived, he had lived in promiscuous, drug-filled, homosexual life before ending up in prison. Where with plenty of time on his hands, he began to read the Bible along with a book that the gay-affirming prison chaplain gave him, telling him that he should be a gay Christian. He writes, I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other. I had every reason to accept the book's assertions to justify same-sex relationships. But God's indwelling spirit convicted me that this book was distorting his word. The Holy Spirit came to convict. I, I, I want to, I, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will come and convict us. Convict us. 
of whatever we are involved with. That is not the will of God. He writes, or so he explains, I eventually realized I'd put great emphasis on being gay. Now I needed to place my primary identity in Christ. Yes, his newfound identity in Christ, he says, it compelled me to live in obedience to God, whether my temptations changed or not. The gospel is about more than just correct beliefs. It leads to correct living as a result of correct beliefs. And then this quote, biblical change is not the absence of struggles. Maybe you're battling pornography or whatever it might be. Biblical change is not the absence of struggles. But it's the freedom to choose holiness in the midst of our struggles. This is biblical freedom. The power where Christ comes to us and he enables us to make the right decisions to live holy lives. So I want to, I want to um, say to all the guys in the house that, who are living purely, who are putting an internet filter on their phones or on their computers, who are choosing to walk in the light and in humility, I want to say, well done. Even if you struggle every day of your life with temptations, I want to say, well done for standing. Well done for taking a stand and doing what you need to do. Keep doing it. The cost of giving in. Is much worse. Much, much worse. God wants to come and clean us and set us free. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Beautiful. It says here, and such were some of you. The Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. I'm almost finished. He writes to the Corinthians and says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I think one of the worst things to experience as a believer is to want to know Jesus, yet you find yourself bound by sin or sexual sin or whatever form of sin. The freedom of being washed. Let's say it. Say washed. Sanctified. Justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is the heart of God. To wash us clean. Sanctify. To set us apart. Chosen. Justified. Declared innocent. There is a place in Jesus that whatever we've been through. Whatever we have done or whatever have been done to us. In Jesus we can be completely made whole and restored. And so I want to give you hope this morning. And who was the such were some of you? Such were some of you. Verse 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. If you're married and you sleep with someone else, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Does God hate such people? No. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Such were some of us. There is hope in Christ that whatever we might be battling with, whatever we have been through in Jesus, we can become as holy as he is and as he was when he walked on the face of this earth.
there is hope. Amen. There is hope. The will of God is no shame. The will of God is to heal and to restore. And this morning I want to pray. I want us to pray for people who've been through stuff. I felt specifically, if you've been molested as a child, we want to bring that before God, that God may heal you on the inside. As we, you, you might not be gay, but you might be anti something else that you should be celebrating. You, it might be affecting you on the inside. Or maybe you have done things that have has messed you up on the inside. Uh, about a month ago, I was in Cape Town, and I prayed for a lady, a leader at a church there. And as I was praying for her, she was battling with quite a few things, and I was praying for her. And as I was praying for her, I felt God tell me, she was raped. And then I prayed for her and then the Lord spoke to me and he said to me, tell her, people do not define you. What people have done to you doesn't define you. I define you. She broke down weeping and later acknowledged that she was raped. I didn't even ask her. She told me herself. God knows what we have been through. And he says, I love you, and I've made provision for everything you've been through, and I can heal you if you allow me to. I will heal you. All we need to do is to come to Jesus and say, okay, God, I'm battling. I can't do this. I need your help. Set me free. Your past does not define you. Jesus defines us. There is hope in Christ. Sexuality is beautiful, beautiful, absolutely beautiful in marriage. It is beautiful. I've told this before, last, last thing I want to share. But Sonic and I, we, we, we overstepped the boundaries before we got married. We didn't have sex, but we overstepped the boundaries. And it influenced our relationship with God. We felt shameful, we felt dirty. And, uh, I, and every time I would kiss her before we got married, I would feel so condemned, so guilty, so horrible. And I remember before our wedding day, I was like worried. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to kiss her on our honeymoon night, and I'm still going to feel condemned. <laughs> like, Come on, man. Don't be so focused, you know. <laughs> She's being religious. Try to figure it out. And I remember the day we got married. When the pastor said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, a miracle happened. Something supernatural happened between us as God knitted our hearts together. When I kissed her, there was no shame. There was no condemnation. There was no guilt. Our honeymoon, first honeymoon evening, it was glorious. (laughs) There was no shame. It was beautiful. It was like worship in church, but we were alone. It was God was there. It was so special. It was so liberating. It was like God in heaven saying, go for it, boyke. And I'm sharing that because sexuality is beautiful. It is God-made. In the right context, there's no shame. 
We had 160 people at our wedding. All 160 of them knew that I'm getting lucky that evening. <laughs> My wife's saying that's enough. <clears throat> but imagine that. It's like it is celebrated. It is beautiful. It is wonderful compared to, oh, I hope no one finds out. I can't look anyone in the eye. I wish I didn't. I'm so ashamed. I'm so condemned. I so want to run away. I'm so afraid of what people are going to say. I'm so afraid of what God's going to say. Shame. God says, I want to remove all shame from your life. Amen. Hallelujah. God is so good. God is so good. Please stand with me. The band can come forward. Whatever you're struggling with, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Such were some of you. Uh, so my heart, I'm, I'm trusting that this morning, even as I'm speaking this word, that I'm birthing something in the spirit. Birthing something in the spirit. That God would give us the grace to help people in whatever they're struggling with. To have compassion, but also the truth. To see them set free. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you. You love us so much. Thank you for your glorious presence here, Lord, to heal. Thank you, God, for your glorious presence, God, for each one to restore, to make whole, to set free. When the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. So, Lord, right now we welcome your manifest presence to touch every heart. Whatever we're struggling with, whatever we have struggled with, whatever that we have done, or whatever that has been done to us, there's hope. There is healing. There's restoration. Jesus Christ still heals still heals to God we thank you that we can step out of the darkness out of the shame into the light where you can clothe us and heal us and restore us no shame purity clean Sanctified, innocent, innocent. Restore our innocence, Lord. Just as every eye is closed, I just want us to respond.
if you battle with shame concerning anything, anything, sexually or anything else, there's shame in your life. You seem to hide it. If you have shame in your life, just quickly raise your hand. Shame. Just take that step. Thank you. Let the love of God come and wash you clean. Thank you, Lord. If you have been, as every eye is closed, that we're not looking around, but if you've been molested as a child or some sexual things have happened to you as a child and, and you still feel it's not been dealt with. Just quickly raise your hand. No, that's a big challenge. I just so feel that God wants to heal. He wants to come bring healing. He wants to come and heal. He wants to come and wash. He wants to come and set free. Maybe you have done things that you feel so guilty about. And it's still influencing you. It has shaped your sexual desires. It has shaped you. It has shaped your sexuality. I believe God wants to heal you today. So anybody else, shame shame in any area of your life just quickly raise your hand hallelujah thank you Lord thank you for your healing power thank you for your cleansing hallelujah can I ask if you've you've raised your hand for any one of those things just to quickly come forward we want to pray with you can some of the counselors also come forward? At least 20 plus people have raised their hands. Just come forward. I believe God's Jesus is going to heal you. Jesus is going to set you free today. Whatever it might be. Things that you've done or things that have been done to you. Shame in any area. It doesn't need to be sexually. Shame in any area. you have a a coffee addiction then come there's no shame in that just really sense the presence of God is here to set us free and to strengthen our resolve all of us to strengthen our resolve to live a pure and holy life have more counselors please thank you Jesus let's cast off shame let's cast off fear maybe you you are here this morning and you have found yourself running away from God running away from Jesus I want to invite you as well to come forward Surrender your life to Jesus and find freedom, the power to break free.
So you are so welcome to join us here in the front. Let's pray a prayer together. Father God, let's all of us pray this together. Say, Father God, thank you that you love me so much. Lord, I embrace your truth. And I know your truth sets me free. So God, I come to you today. I bring my heart to you. I bring my sexuality to you. And I thank you. My sexuality is beautiful. But Lord, today I pray that you would sanctify me, that you would purify me, and that you would heal me. In Jesus' name, Father God, set me free. Set me free in Jesus' name. Right now, I cast off every shame, every guilt, and I run to Jesus who causes me to be without shame, naked yet unashamed. Lord, I receive that right now. Give me the grace to live a pure and holy life. In Jesus' name. I just want to pray for everyone. Father, we thank you. Jesus, you're the healer. You heal physical bodies and you also heal hearts. And you heal our sexuality. Lord, right now we ask, could we, sorry, could we all just open, open your hands like this? I want to pray for all of us for special grace. Special grace for healing. Special grace that God's going to set us free. Special grace that God's going to heal. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us for healing from whatever things we've been involved in the past. We declare it shall no longer form our sexual desires today. It will not form our, our identity. It will not form who we are. And we will not be bound to it anymore. So Lord, right now we break, we cancel every ungodly tie to the past, to sexual encounters, to pornography, to whatever we have done or whatever has been done to us. Right now we break the power of molestation. We break the power of sexual abuse. We break the power of any form of violation that has been done to us or what we have done to others. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for a washing, a cleansing, a healing. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we say hearts be healed. In the name of Jesus, we say, sexuality be healed. We say, gender issues be restored. God, give us grace to overcome temptation. Give us grace 
Empower us to overcome every lie of the enemy. And so, Lord, right now we release hope. We release hope. Let hope settle on every heart. And God, let each, every one of us be strengthened in our resolve to walk in purity. To not have sex outside of marriage. To not have sex before marriage. To not mess around with pornography even once a week or month. So God, right now we receive a fresh resolve. A fresh resolve to live in purity. Honoring the name of Jesus Christ. Walking in the light. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. We receive that right now. We receive grace right now. So, Father God, we pray as well for this city. We pray for the gay community of this city. We pray for prostitutes. We pray for people bound by, by sin. God, that they will find that place of no shame, freedom in Christ. We ask, we even ask as a church, God, that you would use us to bring healing to broken lives.